Our scripture text for this morning comes from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Let us listen to God's word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This story takes place in the home of Lazarus. Here's an important trick for understanding stories in the Bible. The Bible leaves out a lot of details, names, places, what people look like. So when it includes a detail, it usually means something. And this story starts by mentioning Lazarus twice. Here it starts by saying the story takes place at the home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And then it mentions that Lazarus is one of those at the table with him. Why is Lazarus the detail worth mentioning? The answer here is not complicated. Lazarus is supposed to be dead. He was dead. They had buried him. Do you remember the story? Jesus and his disciples are in another city, and they hear that Lazarus is sick. By the time they arrive, Lazarus has died. He's been dead for four days. The town is in mourning. The friends of Lazarus and his sisters have come to town to console them. They've brought the equivalent of casseroles and flowers. The house is filled with hugs, food, and tears. When Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she leaves her sister and her friends at home and goes to find him. She looks at Jesus square in the face, and you can hear the accusation in what she says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Perhaps an accusation some of us have yelled at God in the face of a lost loved one. Jesus says, that her brother will rise, and she says she knows that he will rise on the last day, but he has died, and she misses him. Martha goes back to the home where her family and friends are still mourning and tells her sister Mary that Jesus has come and is calling for her. So Mary gets up, and she races to him. She falls weeping at his feet, and she cries, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died because Lazarus is dead. And there is no coming back from that. He breathed his last and they laid his body in the tomb. Friends and family have come in, dressed much like the sea of black we see at a funeral today. They are hugging and weeping and telling stories. And with all those who die too young, people are mourning what could have been. The hours Lazarus should have had. But now he's dead. He's gone. They've laid his body in a tomb and covered it with a stone. Jesus, weeping, 
begins walking to the tomb and people follow him. The crowd gathers together with Mary and Martha and they begin walking to the tomb. They get there and Jesus tells them to roll away the stone. And as I was remembering all of this, I thought about how familiar this story has become. You expect Jesus to say, roll away the stone, which is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You don't go to a graveyard after missing the funeral and ask the family to dig up the body. It's not just faux pas, it's offensive. But Jesus calls out to the crowd, someone dig up the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, trusts Jesus. She trusts him a staggering amount, and she lets it happen. I can't imagine that. She lets it happen, and they roll away the stone, and Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And he does, still wrapped in the cloths that he was buried in. Lazarus was dead. But now he is alive again. What would it be like living in a town where you see every day that your earthly actions have eternal consequences? Every day you see Lazarus walking to the market. And you know that the powers in this world are larger than what we understand. There is a power that can even call a man out of a tomb. They see him eating and shopping and laughing and arguing. A regular man. Except that he was once dead. It would be strange, which makes sense because it was a miracle. The crowds are intrigued, amazed, suspicious, and afraid. But Mary and Martha, who trusted Jesus but missed their brother, they are relieved. They are living with a miracle every day. They wake up and see God's power. Their brother, who should be dead, is sitting just there drinking coffee. His laugh, which should never have been heard again, drifts out the window. Mary and Martha are living in a taste of heaven where we too will be reunited with those we miss to the depths of our being. This is the background to our story this morning. It's important that this feast is taking place at Lazarus' house. It is a house that should still be in mourning, but is miraculously not. The house is filled with smells of good food and laughter, and Lazarus is there, sitting at the table with Jesus. And as we watch this dinner party unfold, we see Mary do something strange. We see her pour a bottle of perfume on Jesus's feet. Our impulse is to question Mary's action, to question why she wastes this costly bottle of perfume. But when you think about it, she has every reason to be grateful. Jesus has raised her brother to life again. And the only thing we should do when we see Mary's generous gift is say, Amen. Little Sally has a best friend at school, Jenny. Jenny never brings a lunch. Jenny never buys one. She eats a snack if she's lucky. And no one notices But Sally does. So Sally goes home and tells her mother that she needs two lunches the next day. Two lunches? Why do you need two lunches? Just because I do, Mom. The next day, Sally sits down and gives Jenny her second lunch. Here, let's eat. And they do. They eat. And when you see that happen, when you see Sally walk into class with two lunches, all you're supposed to do is say, Amen. 
A singer will practice and practice and practice and practice hours upon hours, skipping dinner, sleeping very little, drinking lots of hot tea, and then the singer performs, and the crowd sits there and watches. In less than two minutes, all that practicing comes to a close. Beautiful, stunning, tears in people's eyes, and all you're supposed to do is say, Amen. A man can't afford to quit his job as a banker and go to seminary so that he can be a pastor, but God told him to. So when God says go, you go. And he did. This man quit his job and enrolled in school, standing in front of a congregation as a guest preacher. He explains God's new call on his life. He candidly shares that he has no idea where the money will come from so that he can afford this education. But he's trusting in God. Just trusting. The service ends, and a couple greets him at the door. Wonderful sermon, very moving. Oh, and by the way, we'd like to cover your seminary tuition. Every dime. All you can do in a moment like that is step back and say, Amen. Your brother is dead, dead in the ground for four days, dead. And Jesus raises him to life again. And all Mary could think to do was say, Amen. But not just with her words. She said amen with her actions as she poured a costly bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet. She poured out the bottle of perfume and knelt down. She knelt at Jesus' feet and washed them with her hair. She did the most lavish thing she could think to do. And all you can do when someone anoints Jesus the Christ, all you can do when someone kneels before God to wash his feet, all you can do when someone wastes their life for the Savior of the world is stand back and say, Amen. Amen. Because the anointing of Jesus' feet is worth 300 denarii. That's 300 days' wages. That's 300 days of work all spent on washing Jesus' feet. This is close to your yearly salary. All of it. Wasted. That's why Judas' question in this text is the right one. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? We assume that because the question comes from Judas Iscariot, that this is the wrong question, which is entirely unfair. Because we're not supposed to know just yet that Judas is who Judas is. We don't know that yet. John likes to quickly tell us that Judas is the one who will betray Jesus, but we aren't supposed to know. After all, Judas was there to help feed the 5,000. He healed. He cast out demons. So, when Judas asks his question, he asks the right one. It is the question we will spend hours debating in a session meeting. Should we spend that money here or there? Is it worth it? How is this ministry helping our church and helping our community? It's the question you'll ask before you buy a house. How else could the money be spent? Is this what we should invest in right now? It's the reason that World Vision will ask for your money and Tom's will ask for your money and the church will ask for your money. Because the question we want to answer is how are we helping those in need? It's a valid question. 
It is the right question. It's my question. So I'd have to side with Judas on this one. John, the writer of this text, knows it's the right question, which is why he takes the time to tell us that Judas isn't wrong because of his question. He's wrong because of his motives. Judas isn't asking out of concern for the poor. He's asking out of concern for himself, which I try to use to distance myself from Judas. But the thing is, I don't fully get Mary and what she does. I get Martha. I get Martha cooking and cleaning the table and throwing a dinner party. I get Lazarus sitting at the head of the household and hosting Jesus in his home as a grand thank you for, you know, raising him from the dead. And I get Judas. I understand looking at this extravagant gesture and thinking through all the other ways that money could have been used. Out of everyone in this text, I get Judas, which is an uncomfortable place to be. It's like how every time I take a Harry Potter quiz, I'm always in Slytherin house. It's an uncomfortable place to be. But more often than we'd like to admit, we read these stories and find ourselves struggling to understand, and often we find ourselves identifying with the man who will betray Jesus. So there's a dinner. You have the 12 disciples, Jesus, Mary, and Martha bustling in the kitchen. And as I read the story, I find myself in Judas's chair, indignant at the waste of money, so fixated on the bottle of perfume that I forgot there's a 14th man at the table, Lazarus, who should be dead. Judas isn't wrong for asking a question, neither are we. But in the face of what Christ is about to do, there is only one response, and that is the response of Lazarus. There's a man at this table that should be rotting in a tomb, and he is eating bread and laughing with his friends. Lazarus, who is sitting at the table with the man who raised him to life, Out of everyone at the table, isn't Lazarus the one you most want to hear from? I want to know what Lazarus is thinking. Is he just in awe of Jesus' power? Is he filled with gratitude? Does he finally believe what Jesus has been telling his disciples for the last two years? That he is going to be crucified and die. The man who can raise the dead will be killed and laid in his own tomb. And Lazarus is crushed by the uncompromising truth. He can't return the favor. Soon his friend will be dead, and he can call to the tomb all he wants. He cannot call Jesus out. Lazarus is standing outside of a horror film yelling, Don't go down that road, Jesus. Stay away. They're going to get you. We see it coming, too. It's headed to the cross. And no one's paying any attention. What do you say to a friend who's going to die for you? What do you say to someone who gives you a gift that is far too big? Lazarus is wondering this. 
And then, and then he sees his sister Mary walk out, kneel down, and anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume. And all Lazarus can do is stand back, look at Mary's anointing of his Savior, and say, Amen. Amen. Amen.